Okay, well, we're picking up our series about recalibrating your life and faith. We're on this constancy kind of theme, and as part of the constancy thing, we're talking about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Prior to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we spent some time uh, talking about um, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and I, I, and I'm going to tell you what the difference between the two is in a moment. But I got to tell you that I'm going to spend the bulk of my time uh, on the what I would call the rhetoric portion, like the rhetoric portion of a sermon or a sermon series is always like this is why this is important. So before you ever get into the text itself, you have to set it up about why it's important to know about that particular part of the text and what it's teaching. So um, the proper identification, increased awareness, more intimate knowledge of the proper and intentional exercise of our God-given spiritual gifts brings vitality, purpose, and recalibration to our life as a Christian. If you are bored, if you are uninspired, if you feel like God is distant, if you don't send, send, sense his sweetness and his kindness, then one of the reasons could actually be because we are not engaging in our spiritual gifts. We're not using the essence of what he's made us into and when we use the essence of what he's made us, what he has given us, it gives our life purpose and meaning. And uh, it brings uh, an emotional content to it that can be wonderful to experience. I know that I, when I have an opportunity to use the gifts that I have, it enlivens me. It gives me life. So rather than God kind of being a sort of like an emotional support to buoy us up when we're feeling down or whatever, uh, our faith in Christ is actually much more than that in uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, is, and how we use the gifts that he has given us are a primary source for why our lives can be recalibrated. Over the course of the years, and I have experienced this personally myself, there are those seasons where you're kind of out of touch, you are bored, we are uninspired, and we wonder about the relevance of the Christian faith sometimes. And when that happens, oftentimes it's because the Holy Spirit isn't exercising. We aren't allowing the Holy Spirit to exercise those very gifts that he has given to us. Now, I want to say to you that, <clears throat> uh, that there is an important difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is a text that we talked about at length from Galatians 5, through 23. The gifts of the Spirit are found in those texts right there. So if you want to read more about them, those would be the texts that you would read. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, Romans 12, 6 through 8. I'm repeating this for people who are listening. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, and Hebrews 2, 4. 
Here's the difference between the two, although they are related. The fruit of the Spirit are clearly visible, extrinsic attributes of the nature of God, reflected in the life of the believer. Now think about that for a moment. The fruit of the Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit are clearly visible, extrinsic, outwardly, outwardly, uh, outward, outwardly seen, attributes of the nature of God reflected in the life of the believer. So it's something that is expressed out of our Christian faith. We express the very nature of God when we use the fruit of the Spirit's. The gift of the Spirit are innate and intrinsic abilities placed within the life of the believer according to the sovereign plan of God for the body of Christ and ministry to the world. So, everyone in this room, if you are a believer, God has placed within you certain gifts. And those gifts are designed and according to his sovereign plan. So the gifts that you have are not there by accident. The gifts that you have are a piece of a puzzle that is connected to other pieces of the puzzle to give a bigger picture of what God's plan is, his sovereign plan for the body of Christ. The gifts that you have are given to you and to me so that this body here can be blessed by them. The gifts that you have are also within you so that through those gifts you can be a blessing to the world, to the church in the world at large. And the gifts that you have have been given to you so that you can be a blessing to an unbelieving world. This is where we fall down. This, is, this has been the great Achilles heel of the church, the fruit of the Spirit, the lack thereof, and the exercise, the acknowledgement, the identification, the use of the gifts of the Spirit for the work of Christ within the body and within the world. This is where we fall down. And, and in that way... Uh, we have to be very careful. You know, somebody once said that the role of the pastor, and believe me, this blows back on me, but the role of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. The role of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforter. The comfortable. So on one hand, when I am comforting the afflicted, I am performing a priestly function of my office. On the other hand, if I am afflicting the comfortable, I am, I am performing a prophetic function of my office. And, <clears throat> and when, when the Lord leads me to do either of those things, it always comes back. So no pastor should ever give a message uh, where there is, uh, um, you know, where there's probably going to be some kind of conviction without having been convicted himself, right? 
So I'm afflicting myself even as I share what I'm about to share with you. Does this make sense to you? So here's some, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, here's, some important, uh, here's an important overview and warnings related to that. So we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 this, Do not quench the Spirit. So if the Spirit is at work in you, or if the Spirit is at work in another person, that we should be careful not to get in the way of the work of that Holy Spirit in our life or in the life of another person. If you see that the Holy Spirit's clearly working in that person's life, don't let jealousy or grudges or anger or whatever get in the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of a believer or the life of a church. So do not quench the Holy Spirit. The second one is, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we, we, uh, we make him sad. We disappoint him. And usually that happens when we are disobedient. And we are knowingly disobedient. You know, there are things called sins of omission and sins of commission, right? So uh, sins of omission are... Um, uh, when, I want to make sure I get this right, sins of omission is when you, when you sin, you, you're not sure that you're sinning. Sins of commission are when you're sinning, you know that you're sinning. And those sins of commission are especially the ones that grieve the Holy Spirit. So, and when we grieve the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we feel this thing called guilt or conviction. But sometimes we push through that guilt and conviction that the Holy Spirit sends us and we ignore it. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we do. Ephesians 4.30. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there, there is some truth and it's related later on to a passage from Galatians, that sometimes even as believers, there are natural things about our life that we uh, do not accept. We will not accept um, as legitimate work from the Holy Spirit. So we just bypass it, or we ignore it, or we reject it. And so... The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Are there things in our lives that the Spirit of God has informed us about that we do not accept? Is there a law? Is there a virtue? Is there a calling? Is there a position of some sort that the Holy Spirit wants us to take, but we won't? Paul says in Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So you probably would not be alarmed if I said to you that there are things in my life that are of the flesh that that fleshly thing wants me to do in opposition to what the Spirit would want me to do. And I think I'm pretty normal. So there are probably some people here where your flesh says, I want you to do this. And you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, no, I don't want you to do that. Don't do that. So what would those things be? What would be some other things to compete for the time and the attention and the the, uh, priority of, uh, of God in our lives? What would those things be? I mean, really, this is true. I think that if any of us go through a week without being aware of a short list, long list of those things that are fleshly, that encourage us to live in opposition to the Spirit, we should all be aware what that list is. Because it is a weakness of sorts. It is a way, it's an avenue to disobedience. So, what would, what would ours be? I mean, I think it's very healthy to sit down and say, okay, if I'm, if I'm being honest, if I'm being real, this thing and this thing and this thing, they are alive and well in terms of how they, attempt, they try to tempt me to live in opposition to the Holy Spirit. See, this is all important because the Holy Spirit lives within us. It's not like he's out there somewhere. It's like he's in, he, he's in here. And so, so the, the imminence of God in our life is very poignant. So if we live in disobedience, if we reject what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, if we live according to the flesh, then, then we are doing that with the Holy Spirit living within us. So how resolute do we have to be to ignore? All of us have had those relationships where we would say to the person in, across from us, you need to do this because that is the right thing to do. And that person might say, well, I'm not going to do that. I don't care if it's the right thing to do or not. I'm not doing it. The, fa- the very fact that they are within that kind of close proximity seems to make it even worse. If I'm having a conversation with somebody over a phone or if I'm sending somebody an email and I say, I'm not going to do that, somehow it just doesn't seem as bad. But if I have the Holy Spirit living in me and I say, I'm not going to do that because my flesh wants me to do that, that just seems to be worse because of the proximity. Then finally, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
And this theme is found in all of the Synoptic Gospels. So both Mark and Matthew felt that it was so important that they included it, included it in their gospel as well. There is this thing where we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain a bit more about what that means. So the Greek word blasphemo means to speak reproachfully, rail at, revile, col um, columnate, uh, to be evil spoken of, reviled, or railed at. So, but it also implies to reject, to act knowingly and willfully act against in a demeaning, derisive, and disparaging manner. So in other words, there are times when you don't have to say a single word to a person, but the way that you act says everything that needs to be said. Is that not true? Not a word has to be said, but what they do speaks louder than anything they could have said. So there is a way to not only speak disparagingly about the Holy Spirit, but in a connected fashion, there is a way that we act disparagingly to the Holy Spirit. And that is a kind of rejection. So we read here, and I think this kind of underscores the point uh, in Ephesians 4, 30 through 31. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so right after he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, he gives these examples. And these, these examples are, they speak. And they speak in a way that grieves and or rejects on some level the Holy Spirit himself. So he gives this example of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. There are other things, but this is the short list that he gives. So follow this with me. And I'm going to go through this because I want everyone in this room to understand how absolutely vital it is that you not only know the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given to you, but that you are wholeheartedly committed to exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit he has given to us. So, in relationship to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there is a warning that when we systematically quench the Holy Spirit, grieve the Holy Spirit, do not accept the things of the Spirit of God, desire uh, that we have, that when our desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, we may be flirting with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is a hard truth. That when we systematically quench the Holy Spirit, in other words, Systematically meaning that we've entered into a lifestyle of sorts 
where we quench the Holy Spirit. When grieving the Holy Spirit is no longer like important to us, it doesn't matter that we've grieved the Holy Spirit. That when we refuse to accept the things of the Spirit of God, when we don't accept the gifts that he has given to us, when we don't ex exercise the gifts that he has given to us as he wants us to exercise them, we flirt with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When our, the desires of our flesh become supreme over and against what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, we flirt with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I think this argument is um, unassailable. Here's another list. In relationship to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's another warning. When we systematically, willfully remain ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in other words, I'm, I don't really care to know. It doesn't matter to me what God has given to me in terms of gifts. It's not important. And if it's not important, then you can't be what God wants you to be to everybody else, both within the church and outside of the church. And as a result of that, people in the world will suffer. There's a lot of unnecessary suffering in the world because people do not exercise the gifts that they have been given. When we knowingly suppress the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so, like, uh, you know, I remember when I was younger uh, and, you know, we, we had a lot of guys or people my age, young, young adults my age, and some of them would come to faith and, and, and they would be resistant to coming to faith because, and they would say this, they would say, I'm just terrified he's going to call me to be a missionary. I just don't want to be a missionary, you know? Like, if I become a Christian, I have to be a missionary or I have to be uncool. I can't wear nice clothes or, you know, it's all those kinds of things, you know? And so they would, they would suppress. So you had to help work them through that. When we systematically and actively deny the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to knowingly suppress is one, but to use, use. I've had people here at this church who had certain gifts that they used professionally, but would not use for the church because of some ethic they had professionally that they could not do it. So I had some people in labor-intensive environments who would say they would not use their gifts because it violated their labor agreement. I, I kid you not. So that took supremacy. Not everybody was like that, but I had some people who were like that. And so that took supremacy over this. And so as a result of that, the gifts that they had that they could have used to fix or to build or do something here, either other people had to give more in order, that, in order for that to happen or we would have to hire somebody to do that. So resources that could have gone someplace else to benefit people went to that when we had the very thing that we needed right here to do it. 
Does this make sense to you all? So they actively denied the use of their, their, their gifts. And then there are those people who consciously, systematically consciously misuse the gifts of their spirit. So let's be very clear about this. Whatever gifts God has given to us, it belongs first to God and second to your profession or to you or to your work or whatever. The gift that God has given to us belongs primarily to him. So, um, but I know that people are tempted many times to use the gifts that they have given first for themselves and whatever is left over then for the church or for ministry. And that, that, isn't, that wasn't the plan. That's not how it's laid out. That was not God's intent in giving us those gifts. So when this stuff happens then, we flirt with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because we are rejecting. We are living in a way that's contrary to, uh, in a way that, in, that uh, embarrasses the Holy Spirit. We need to fix that. We need to fix that. And we can fix it. And if you're like me, and I'll say this very clearly, isn't it wonderful that God is so gracious and so patient with us as we work through these things in our lives? I mean, isn't it wonderful that God builds the person as he builds the work? So there's this work to do, but, you know, but rather than being so obsessed about that work, we're a work as well. And so what I'm saying to you is, I don't know where any of you are on what I've said so far. So I'm just saying to you that rather than be up, you know, like um, fearful or frustrated, just look, God is patient. So wherever we are right now in our life, whatever we have done or haven't done with the gifts that he has given to us, begin today. Start now. When you leave here today and go out those doors and you go home, resolve within yourself that you want to know what your gifts are and you want to evaluate exactly how much you use those gifts in a way that's truly faithful and complementary with what the Holy Spirit has designed them to be in your life. Resolve. And I'm saying to you that in terms of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if probably 25% of us in this room did that with the kind of resolution that I'm encouraging us all to do, it would change this church. It would foundationally, fundamentally change the presence of this church within the community. If that happened within the church, universal. I mean, the church has fallen on hard times within our culture. But if the church did that universally within our culture, it would 
There is no power on earth that could resist that. Years ago, I used to attend St. Stephen's Church. And the pastor, the rector there was Dr. John Guest, who had a significant influence on my life. I mean, I would say he is without question probably the most influential pastor in Western PA without probably a close second. He used to say this. I, I couldn't believe he had the, He used to say that he believed that about 90% of the pastors who were in the ministry should get out. Just get out. He said that he would say they are not faithful in terms of their leadership, the gift of leadership. They are not faithful in terms of the gift of administration. They are not faithful in terms of the gift that they've been called to in terms of preaching and teaching. They, are, they have not been faithful. Now, I don't know that you, you could like quantify that in any way, but that was his, that was his observation. So, as a pastor, I can tell you that I and my tribe need to do much better with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives than what we do. I've been wrestling with that quite a bit lately. I mean, I do feel like the Lord has made me primarily a teacher. And I feel like I want to, in, in some ways, find a way to amplify that because I do feel there are some things that I say and teach on that are important that are not being said as much as they could be said in the, in the larger context of the church now. So I'm trying to figure out how I can do that. I'm wrestling with it. Something about a podcast, maybe do some writing. I don't know. But just so that you know, I'm wrestling with it as well. I need to do better with my gifts. So I'm wondering if this morning you would partner with me in wanting to do better with your gifts. Now, you might be wondering, like, I don't know what my gifts are. Well, I'm, I've looked online. They have all these gifts of the Holy Spirit tests that you can take online. You know, I'm sure some of them are kind of fruity, you know. But I'm sure there's probably some that are pretty decent you, you can take. And so I'm going to try and find a site or two and give it to you so that you can take the test and ascertain what you think your gifts might be if you aren't sure what they are. I do believe that in our church, overall, we have some formidable gifts in terms of teaching. We have some, apart from me, there are other people here who do a great job teaching. We have some people here who have the wonderful gifts. When I say apart from me, I don't consider myself to be a formidable teacher. I consider myself to be a teacher. There are more teachers out there that forgot more than I know and are better at what I do. I freely accept that. But I am what I am, and I'll do the best with what I have as I am. But there are other people here who are, from, who are, who are great teachers. And I try to get them up here before you as much as I can. 
We have people who have tremendous gifts of service, hospitality, tremendous. And there are many others. So I want to give you the opportunity to find, to discover for sure, with more clarity, what you think your gifts might be. I've had many conversations with people over the years who enjoy going to larger churches. And I can tell you, this is true, the number one reason why they enjoy going to a larger church isn't the technology, it's not the music, it's not the preaching, although those are all important to them. The number one reason why they go, as they have said it to me, I can go there and not be known. Nobody bothers me. Now, I'm just asking, in what way does that kind of an attitude ever have any ability to prevail against the gates of hell? But that's what you and I are called to do. We're called to prevail against the gates of hell. So, that will only happen when we embrace our giftedness and make that giftedness work in places like this. It will only happen when we fully embrace and desire the fruits of the Holy Spirit to be present in extrinsic and a poignant part of all of our lives. So next week, I'm going to be speaking on um, specific texts that address the fruits of the Spirit, I mean, the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, because each of these texts have a particular angle to them that amplify some new meaning associated. So I'm going to try and get through all of those uh, next week if I can and help unpack that. And I will also come, so my homework then, is to come next week and to give you a source or two where you can explore what your gifts are. The Lord isn't done with us. He's not done with this church. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. There's a world of hurt and affliction and pain, and ignorance, and uninspiration out there, that world is waiting, waiting for people like me, you and me to show up and to just do and be what God has made us and what he has called us to in the doing and being.